Hey, what's up, guys? It's Rico here, CEO of SourceFind Asia, host of the Channel Podcast and the host of the SourceFind Asia YouTube channel, of course, back with another podcast. This episode has been a long time. Like when I say long time, I've said a long time before, but long time, this is like years. <laughs> the first time I reached out to Nicole Webb was in 2017, I believe. And at the time, I was just kind of like looking at the amount of interviews that I'd done with the podcast. And I was, it was a lot already at that stage. And I kind of was like, wow, like like 90%. Uh, if we'd interviewed 50 people, I would say three of them were female entrepreneurs. It's not like I was ignoring um, women entrepreneurs or anything like that. It's just like when you start a podcast or anything in, in, in life where you sort of need help and you're asking people to do something for you, naturally you reach out to your social circle first. And as a guy, I, I mostly hang out with men. And then at the same time, you know, being in asia i just didn't know that many women entrepreneurs that were from the west necessarily and then you know trying to interview chinese people generally is difficult because of the language barrier so that's why if you look at the podcast interviews there's very few that i have that were sort of like mainland china chinese people that you know were running their own businesses because a lot of times those people didn't know what a podcast is in the first place so they maybe weren't as as keen to jump in a podcast but a lot of times i just knew that the language barrier is going to be a little bit too much um so i saved those more for like the youtube channel with the on the factory floor so anyways i was just kind of you know taking stock and being like well you know i think i should there's definitely a lot of female entrepreneurs um out there you just have to be active in terms of searching for it and on twitter i think i just typed in like china entrepreneurs and then i was just kind of going through the different threads and i came across nicole webb's profile which led me to her blog mint mocha musings and i uh, was reading about her experiences in in china and how she'd you know in hong kong and mainland and how she'd sort of parlayed her blog from a newscasting career in australia she kind of part- became a mom in hong kong and f- had to figure out a way to make money and um while her husband was uh, the hotelier and she started blogging and then, you know, she was able to make some income from that. And I thought that was really interesting, interesting story. So I reached out and I think at the time she was maybe actually transitioning back from mainland to Australia. And then I don't know, just our schedules didn't line up. And then I kind of like, you know, we didn't talk for a while. And then I, I ran into her. She was a host at the Cross Border Summit um, in 2018. Yeah. So and I was like, oh yeah, that's Nicole. And then I, you know, we kind of kept in touch from there. And then, you know, I just uh, going at the at the top of the year, we always make a list of people that we want to reach out to and do interviews with. And this year, you know, Nicole was on that list again. And and I think the timing was perfect, just because, you know, she's she's got a book coming out which is called China Blonde, which <laughs> sort of encapsulates the stories from her time in China and Hong Kong. And I thought, yeah, this is the perfect time to kind of have her on the show and, you know, talk about her experiences, the transition back to Australia, what's going on with COVID, talk about the book. And I think it was a it was a great episode and it was a long time coming. And I'm, I'm happy that we were able to make it work at this time. I think it was a perfect timing. And of course, she's she's a professional. I mean, she used to present on TV <laughs> for a living. So it was a very, very smooth conversation. And, and she's very knowledgeable about everything that she's experienced. And it was interesting just picking her brain about what it's like because i mean we have you know we're expats but like i'm a guy i don't know what it's like to be raising a child you know being thrown into a foreign environment 
So yeah, no, I mean, it was. I think her book is going to be very inter- interesting. I'm going to purchase it myself. It's available for pre-order. By the time this episode comes out, it might actually be out. You will link it up in the show notes. You can purchase it off from her website. And without further ado, enjoy. I don't want to be a product of my environment. I want my environment to be a product of me. When you meet somebody in a social setting that's not familiar with your industry, how do you describe, how do you answer the question, what do you do? Okay, (laughs) that's a very good question. At the moment, I would probably start by saying I'm a writer. I'm a journalist by trade. I was um, a newsreader with Sky News, as you know, for about a decade before we moved overseas to Hong Kong and then China. So then that sort of morphed, when I had a baby, that morphed into doing a bit more freelancing work, which led me to writing more and starting my blog, Mint Mocker Musings. Um, And that led to writing different articles for websites and papers, magazines, etc. And a bit of MC work on the side, media training. So jack of all trades, I guess, when it comes to anything media related. And I've just finished my first book. So I can officially add author to my title. <laughs> it, just, it just keeps going, right? I know, I know. I've been wanting to say that for so long. <laughs> so actually, I think I came across your blog first. That's how I, was, I was sort of introduced you and then um, and, your, and your Twitter. And uh, I, I was fascinated by the story of you going to Hong Kong and, and how that experience was for you. Um, before we sort of jump into that, can you just give like my audience a little bit of background um, in terms of you know where you grew up and how that led you to traveling in Asia and living in Asia? Absolutely. So I grew up in New Zealand, uh, the land of the long white cloud. Uh, as a teenager, my mum and dad decided that we would move to Australia, which wasn't far away um, in terms of flying three and a half hours. But um, back then it was seen as the the land of sunshine um, and the land of opportunity. So we moved to the Gold Coast in Australia when I was uh, 16, which for teenagers back then, I, you know, I didn't want to move. I didn't want to leave all my friends behind, but it was a fantastic decision. Um, Ended up going to university here in Australia and studied journalism once I decided that I wanted to be a newsreader. And that was that. There was sort of no turning back. So, yeah, I lived in Australia until, oh, I think it was 2010, uh, we decided to move overseas. So that came about basically, to be honest, I felt like I'd sort of missed the boat when it came to living overseas because I'd sort of been, I didn't want to leave because I was trying to get my career established in my 20s. And in my 30s, I thought, you know, that time's come and gone, unfortunately, even though it was something I really wanted to do. Um, And then I met my husband on a blind date and he was in hotels and they like you to move around and progress and conquer. And obviously there's lots of opportunities overseas. So at first, while I sort of dismissed doing that, eventually, you know, one day I just thought, you know what, life is really too short and, you know, we should take this opportunity and do it. He'd been offered a job in Hong Kong at the W Hotel. So I said, you know what, I've kind of come to a standstill in my career in Australia. I had achieved what I set out to achieve 
And while I really enjoyed it, I wasn't as motivated or ambitious. So uh, we decided to take that step. So that was 2010. And the very same week we decided to do that, we also found out we were having a baby. So that was a bit scary because suddenly you're moving <laughs> to a foreign country, you know, yeah. so having a baby, all of that stuff. So we did that and uh, we were in Hong Kong for four years, which, you know, we really, really loved. I think we could have probably stayed there maybe forever, you know. We one, really of my, really one of my favorite enough. cities. Yeah, I mean, look, of course, with what's happening now, it's very sad, but it is, it's been an amazing city with everything, you know, as you know, there's everything there, you know, it's the hub, always been the hub of the financial world, you're sort of in the middle of everything, and it's got the city feel, but it's also got those amazing, the landscape, you know, you can hike the beaches, so I feel like it's just got a bit of everything, and also that amazing culture as well. Yeah, it's got that mix between, you know, British and, and uh, Asian culture, that perfect. Yeah, blend. yeah, absolutely. Yes. So Hong Kong for four years and then and you moved to Xi'an. Yeah, so we were quite happily settled in Hong Kong. But for my husband, he really needed to get that next to that next level of general manager of his own hotel. And of course, we were offered different jobs kind of all over the world, especially in Asia. But China kept cropping up because they were, you know what China's like, it's a force of nature, right? So they were building so many hotels and they still are obviously. And I think at the time he was with Starwood and they were building like 80 hotels in one year. So it was almost impossible to avoid. And a few cities came up and we sort of turned those down and then Xi'an came up and I'd been to China a couple of times just to Shanghai and, you know, Xi'an looks like the quintessential Chinese city, I guess, from an outsider's point of view. You know, it's a very historic city, um, the ancient capital. So, uh, you know, I, it was kind of coming to that time where we just had to make a decision. We'd sort of been toing and froing for a year and it was like now or never. So we said, let's do it. Let's move to the mainland. And uh, Ava was three and a half by that point. And off we went and we lived in China, in Xi'an for two and a half years. You started your blog two years into living in Hong Kong. What was the moment you, you thought like, hey, I want to start a blog? Like what, what, what led you to that um, decision? I had always wanted to start, well, I'd always wanted to write a book, but then we make a joke that all journalists think they've got a book in them, right? Um, whether they have or not, it's another story. But I thought, well, look, I don't really know what I'm going to write a book about at this point. So maybe I'll start a blog. And because I'd been writing a few articles for local websites, I sort of got a taste for it. And, you know, being in Hong Kong, there was so much to talk about, especially for any Western um, friends or people that hadn't been to Asia or Hong Kong you know there was a lot to say it's a fascinating place as we said and so I thought I'll just start writing down my experiences so that was two, I think two years to the day on our anniversary in Hong Kong I decided to start the blog so yeah that's eight years it's been going now um, of course I don't have quite as much to write about lately being back in Sydney but it's still got you know I think there's like 150 posts there that are so relevant to anyone who's you know living in Hong Kong or China or wants to know more about it today. So was the concept of the blog just kind of how to cope with moving to Hong Kong and starting a new family or like what was the, the uh, like the early days of the blog? I think my whole 
whole thought was always to be educationally entertaining. So I kind of like writing with a little bit of humour, but I also, so I wanted to entertain people with, you know, funny stories that we had had as Westerners, you know, in a foreign country. But I also wanted to educate people a little bit about what Hong Kong was like. You know, there are so many things that we just don't know. So, um, and, and in China, even more so. Um, and of course, the comparisons between the two are huge. And a lot of people don't know that. I mean, my, I myself am guilty of that before we moved to Hong Kong. You know, I wouldn't have even known sort of where Hong Kong was on the map in comparison to the mainland or anything. So, you know, I think there's just so much that we don't know about the real Hong Kong, the real China. I really wanted to get that across, but in an entertaining way that wasn't, you know, too boring. What was one of the first major realizations you had when, when you started living in, in Asia? Oh, gee, that's a hard one. Uh, I think... I think the language barrier, of course, I mean, everyone will say that, but even though they speak Cantonese and speak English in Hong Kong, you know, and there are so many expats in Hong Kong, I think, you know, 100,000 or whatever it was, um, I could still go outside and be one of the few blonde women, you know, walking the streets. So at first, culture shock did hit pretty hard and looking back after living in China I'm like well that's pretty crazy because it's such a westernized place but I think when you've just lived you know in somewhere like Australia um, it was very different for me and I loved that that's what I loved about it but it was a huge learning curve I think and even more so I guess going to Xi'an where English wasn't spoken hardly at all. Yeah I always think about that it's like because I moved to China for I'd been to Hong Kong on vacation but because I moved to China first, going to Hong Kong was like, oh, I'm back back in Western culture. <laughs> but I know, I know. Yeah, but obviously, for <laughs> a lot of people, that 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 wouldn't that wouldn't quite work out if they were coming directly from the states or from Australia or whatever, and they go to Hong no, Kong. it's, it's, it's going to be a little bit of a shock, yeah. I think it is. I think it's very foreign. You know, the crowds for, I think the crowds for a start are what really threw me because it is such a densely populated place. I just yeah. remember being sandwiched between these people, you know, and shoved this way and that. And you've really got to learn to navigate those crowds and get through them. And, you know, just hailing a taxi, um, learning which taxis are going to cross under that Harbour Tunnel and which aren't. And, you know, especially when I had Ava and she was a baby and I'd get in a cab with her in this capsule and we would have to, you know, we were trying to get somewhere and maybe the cab driver didn't speak English and I'm trying to communicate and I think we ended up getting lost or he would just drop us on the side of the road and I'm trying to get the, the stroller out of the boot and it was all just, you know, kind of just little things. But when you've got this new baby and you're trying to navigate where you're even going and the foreign language, it's mm. pretty daunting. I remember there were times when I was just like, oh, my God, I really don't think I can do this, you know. It was tough until you find your way and I think that's sort of the learning or the lesson for any expat as we know I guess is it takes time and I, I always say it's like a pregnancy you know it takes about nine months to get used to it um, until you feel kind of comfortable and like it's home and that was definitely what it was like for Hong Kong and even more so in Xi'an you know it was such a culture shock going there even from Hong Kong that, you know, especially because there were so few Westerners in Xi'an and, the, you know, a lot of Chinese would come to where we lived 
as tourists from the rest of China, from smaller villages. So a lot of them had never ever seen a white person. And of course I had this little three-year-old blondie with very pale skin and blue eyes. So she was just, you know, the talk of the town. They were just absolutely fascinated by her. And as you know, while it's completely harmless at the time, I wasn't, I didn't quite know that. So when they were trying to touch her and pick her up and everything, I'd be like, oh my God, what's happening? <laughs> don't, don't steal my baby. <laughs> Yeah, you just don't know because you're not yeah. familiar with the culture and you don't know that they are harmless and they just want to have a look at her and take a picture, you know. What was your routine, like your daily routine when you were when you started the blog and it started to pick up steam and you obviously have a, a little little girl that you have to take care of? Well, that was a whole new ball game for me as well because I'd always been such a career person and I really had to find work that was suddenly flexible um, and being in a foreign country and not knowing... Uh, the place so well. Um, it all was word of mouth for me for getting work. And while I wanted to have something of my own, I also needed to be flexible, which is why I sort of didn't go into news reading in Hong Kong because I just thought that's going to be too much. So I thought I'll just start freelancing. And the blog, I started to work out how I could monetize that, which took a while, um, and started to freelance, um, do articles, as I said, and a bit of MC work. So it was just sort of taking what came up and things evolved for me in Hong Kong, really through word of mouth, even though it's, uh, you know, a huge population, it is quite small in that way. And of course, we had a, um, a lovely part-time helper who would come over and look after Ava on those days that I needed to, because James, my husband, was in his role, new role in the W, and that was really, really full-on and intense. So it was just figuring all of that out, I guess, as a new mum and as someone who wanted to still, after 20 years in media, I didn't want to let that go completely. So I was trying to find a balance and um, find out what I could do that worked for me. And I think, you know, that's a, one thing, I guess, a lot of people when they move overseas or even when they have a baby, you get that loss of identity because you're like, what am I now? You know, I'm just a mum changing nappies or, you know, diapers and singing nursery rhymes. And you think you've kind of forget what you are good at. And that was the case with me for a while. I, I almost kind of thought, well, I'm just, an, I was a newsreader, but what can I do with no, when I don't have an auto cue in front of me? You know, and it took a good friend to remind me, you've got all this, you know, experience with media and that's, you know, hence the blog started. And also I think it gives you the freedom in a new country to almost do something you might never do, almost reinvent yourself a little bit because I probably wouldn't have written blogs or articles in Sydney just out of fear of just, it's a bit embarrassing in front of your colleagues. You know, you're a newsreader. That's what you do. Sort of don't veer off that path. But here, suddenly I realized in Hong Kong that I had this opportunity to, you know, essentially reinvent what I was doing and, and no one knew me. So that was the great thing. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I can't necessarily relate to uh, being a new mom moving <laughs> overseas, but what advice would you, is that the advice you'd have? Like if, if somebody's listening to this and they're moving with their husband or significant other and they're leaving their career behind is sort of try to take the experience that you have and, and use that and reinvent yourself. Is that, is that what you? I think so. I, I mean, it can be really difficult if you are the one that is, as they call, like to say trailing, a trailing spouse, which I really hate that word. I like to say we're a trailblazer because, you know, you can feel like you've, left everything behind and you know you're the one that whether you're um male or female you've kind of got to 
find a house, find the schools, find the doctors, you know, the supermarkets, settle everybody in and all of that. And you can get a little bit lost in doing that. You've got to find a new tribe of friends and that's, that's not easy either. And um, your sort of career and aspirations, I guess, can get lost in that time. And also it's very difficult in some countries to work. I mean, in China, I couldn't work. Um, obviously, um, I did freelance work, but, you know, my visa wouldn't have allowed me to work properly there. So you've got to find something that really um, works for you. And I think even if that's just, you know, not just, but even if it's volunteering or even learning the language or whatever it might be, just something that is yours, you know, that can help you feel like you still have that identity and just look, look outside the box, you know, and, and look at what you have done up until this point in life. Because I think a lot of people, like I said before, you really just kind of pinpoint yourself as this one headline, you know, like I had newsreader, but what makes up all of that, you know, for me, it was, you know, I could write, I could produce, you know, I knew how to media train people to be on camera, you know, all of those little things add up to things that you can possibly try and do in a new country. You kind of briefly touched on this, but what were some of the main differences between living in Hong Kong and, and mainland China? I think for Xi'an, because it had such a small pool of expats as opposed to Hong Kong. So, you know, probably a thousand compared to a hundred thousand. So at first the language was a massive thing. I just remember driving into Xi'an the first night we arrived and, you know, even in Hong Kong, they had English under the signs, under the Chinese characters, whereas here there was no English whatsoever. So it's just that daunting fact that you really don't know what's going on. And I was learning Mandarin, but of course it was so minimal. So it's just so daunting. And then of course, the fact that there are very, very few Westerners. So it's just, we lived in a hotel because my husband was managing the hotel. So we were super lucky and privileged to be doing that. But still, even though they could speak a little bit of English in the hotel, it wasn't a lot and you know as soon as you stepped outside of that bubble you were kind of on your own out in the world and it's just that fear of you know if your phone battery dies how are you gonna know how to get back you know all those little things in the beginning that are so overwhelming um and just you know of course as we know china is um you know i don't want to get into politics but it's run by the communist party so it's very it's been very different to hong kong that has that western element that british influence you know all of those things censorship and learning how that all works i guess in china is it was a huge learning curve getting ava into school i didn't want to i didn't want to put her into a fully local school just for the fact of the language thing was so huge but she so she went to an international school but again most of the people there were chinese or korean I think she had one little Western girl in her class, but just navigating their education system, which is so different. Just the cultural nuances are so different. You know, learning about guanxi, learning about all of those things. It took a long time to get, it, it, you know, I'm still getting my head around it, but that's China. It's a force of nature. It, it's a beast that you've really got to try and understand, I guess. Yeah, I always I always tell people it's not it's not easy. Like I, I have a lot of respect for anybody that spends more than six months in China, and then of course yeah. the pe there's people that try to change China, which is ridiculous. You kind of you have to. Yeah, to I know. 
you do and it's up to you to really and that's what I was the message I've really tried to get across in my book as well that while they China seems so different to us ultimately we're all um, connected you know by that thread of humanity where we all have the same values we all want the same things for our you know our families and our children and you know I interviewed a lot of local Chinese for my book over t- over the time that I was there just to try and get an understanding of how they see the world because I guess also uh, um, Western media we tend to see China you know it's in the news every day especially at the moment but it's always about the government or it's about you know the economy um, you don't really hear so much about the real people in China and what they think and how they live and and I don't think people realize that it is still very much a developing country even though it's got this burgeoning economy many people are still living in you know villages and all of that but also that it's changing so rapidly and literally overnight isn't it so I think, yeah, they, they are just such, it's so different like that. And I really hope that I've tried to bring that across in my book as well, because that was such a learning curve um, for me there, but it was also quite fascinating. Yeah. You, you mentioned your book, China Blonde. I want to talk about that uh, a little bit later, but I wanted to ask about your experiences doing the MC work. Cause I, the last time I saw you was at the cross border summit um, was it last year? I think it was yeah, last year. In, in, uh, it was in the it was two years ago. Oh, two yeah, years ago. Okay. it was actually okay. yeah. That's how time flies. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So that was fantastic. That was um, really fun doing that, wasn't it? So I've done a bit of MC work. Um, my first MC gig was in Hong Kong, and again, it was in that time when I was trying to readjust and redefine who I was. And while I'd been a newsreader, I'd never MC'd an event because I guess you you know you can be put in your box, can't you, when you're in your home country? You know, you grow up, you do this one job, and you kind of don't step outside of that too much. So I'd not really done any MC work, even though you would think that was a logical step to do as a newsreader. So I got offered this role um, by this amazing Filipino company, small family-run company, and um, Ava was nine weeks old. And I remember thinking, oh, my God, I'm so sleep-deprived, and, you know, I'm kind of three sizes bigger after pregnancy, and I've got to get ready and go out there into the world. But at the same time, I really wanted to do it for me, again, to have something for myself and say, you know, I'm still here. I've still got this, even though I've got a baby and I'm in a new country. So off I went and it's that old fake it till you make it, you know, I really wasn't 100% sure what I was doing, but it was very much like kind of reading the news and reading a bulletin, you know, and running the ship, I guess, keeping everything to time and, you know, just hosting it and making sure it all runs smoothly. So that was my first taste of it. And, you know, I've still been emceeing for that same family for the last decade. They, they have me back. So I kind of, I must've done something right. <laughs> so this is the first year I actually haven't been back in 10 years um, to Hong Kong because of coronavirus, etc. Yeah, which is sad. How did you go about monetizing your blog? Monetizing is, it's really tough. I think unless you are absolutely dedicated to it 100% all day, every day. And I am not a tech person at all. So that side of it's always been difficult for me. But the ways that I've monetized it have been through sponsored posts, obviously, 
but I've always been very picky because you can, you know, you get asked by a lot of companies if you can write a post or they'll write it for you. And I've always wanted my blog to be in my voice because it's been authentic to me in that way. So I didn't, I don't want just any sort of article on there. So I've said no to a lot, but those that sort of fits with the theme of travel and expat life in Asia and um, parenthood and all of that, um, if it really works, I'll do it. And of course they, they pay you to, they usually have a link or two to their site. So that's how that works. Um, and another really good one for me has been through affiliations, which of course you've got to find the right affiliation that really works for your blog. And one of mine has been with OFX, um, which is an, a transfer, like a, what do you call it? Financial institution. And you can trans, if you transfer money when you're overseas through OFX, if you want to transfer money home instead of, you know, using the traditional banks, then I will get a, a small commission fee if you're going through my blog, but things like that, you know, it's, it's small money, but it adds up and it, it, it all, it kind of helps to feel like you're not just doing it for nothing. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Your book, China Blonde, can you kind of explain to my audience what it's about? Um, and then the second question I have off of that is, is there a particular story from the book that you think would be interesting to, to talk about? Oh, gee. Um, well, it's really the, the guts of it is what I've been talking about, I guess. And that is moving to a new country, stepping out of your comfort zone. And, you know, you've got to have a lot of faith to just, you know, know that if it doesn't work out, it's not the end of the world, but give it a go. And China Blonde is just that that section of us moving from Hong Kong to China, because when I got to China, obviously I knew that, Hey, this is such an amazing, incredible country and a fascinating time to be here. This has got to be a book. So of course that's when I said about once I'd sort of established myself in Xi'an, which again took about 18 months to feel comfortable. That's when I started doing a lot of interviews and getting a feel for um, what what the real people think, you know, from my local hairdresser to a, a World War One veteran to, you know, um, lots of Chinese, local Chinese women, um, just a really broad cross-section of the community. And I basically, I really didn't know how to write a book. You know, while you can be, you're a journalist and a blogger, it's very different to put that all down into chapters that flow on into another chapter and another chapter. Um, so it's, it, again, that's been another steep learning curve. And when I came back to Australia, I had the opportunity to actually go to a lot of online classes and in-person classes about writing memoir. I mean, I didn't even know it was going to be a memoir or what that even meant, you know. So I ended up doing a lot of kind of honing the craft of writing, which is just a never-ending learning anyway. And then I had a great mentor who really helped me to shape the book. And again, like my blog, I wanted it to be a continuation of that, to be educationally entertaining. So it's really, um, you know, it's got lots of themes running through it. From finding yourself, your identity, reinvention, finding your tribe of friends and why we kind of meet certain friends and make friends with certain people. And I guess in expat life as well, you become friends with people from all walks of life and probably people that you might not normally befriend in your normal everyday country. Two, relationships and how that works when you're overseas, how you've really got to rely so heavily on each other. 
you know, when you've got no family around and you've got to be on the same page again, I guess, when you're in another country, you know, when, when, how long are you going to stay? When are you going to leave? How are you approaching it? So it sort of runs through all of those themes and hopefully kind of beneath that, it gives you a, an insight into real life um, China, you know, everyday life there and touches on all of those those things from politics to education to culture, you know, to Guanxi, to, to all of those little things. And, and yeah, so um, hopefully, it, and it's kind of, I hope it's funny in, in a lot of ways. And um, yeah, I hope that it kind of, it, anyone who loves an adventure, I think will like it. And anyone that um, wants to know more about China or has been in China will relate. And anyone that's ever moved overseas, or even, you know, if you've just moved to another state or another city, you know what it's like really to step out of your comfort zone and have to start again and build a new life. Is there a particular story that uh, stands out to you from the book? Oh, gosh, there are so many stories. I mean, I always think the funny ones are sort of <laughs> like when we had our medical checkups. You, you might have, you know, when you get your visa and you have to go into the giant medical hall that sort of says aliens live here and a big sign and you know you're rushed from one room to the next and poked and prodded and I just remember thinking oh my god what are we doing you know and it was just kind of just funny and hilarious you know you're on the bed with things stuck all over you and you know rushed around and that was, you know, quite a crazy time. And just visits to doctors, you know, we had an amazing doctor, but he really couldn't speak much English. And it was a lot of charades and a lot of funny stories would happen when I would take Ava to the doctors. (laughs) And, you know, he'd come all the way down and wave us off like we were long lost friends. And, you know, I went to an acupuncturist there to trial that. And, you know, after you finish your acupuncture session, you come out and there's a giant table filled with, you know, platters of dumplings and everything you can imagine. He's made lunch for you. You know, what kind of appointment do you go to that they make lunch for you after? <laughs> you know, that. I mean, they are really such generous people and really so welcoming always, which I really want to get across because, you know, there's Especially- always a lot of talk about Chinese yeah, exactly. Yeah, especially with foreigners because they, they have, uh, like Chinese people have an understanding like this is not your home country and then they, you know, it's kind of tradition for them to take care of what they would consider to be lost people. Like I think there was, a, I forget the story, but there was some parable about, you know, taking care of people when they're lost in, in the woods and stuff like that. And they kind of look at it, obviously in the modern day version, they kind of look at foreigners being in their country as lost people and they need to take care of them and bring them in and feed them. Yeah. And that's a side. And they, yeah, they do. Exactly. I think people are often too busy criticizing, you know, what they're doing that's different to what we know, you know, that shoving and pushing and because that, you know, it's so crowded and it's really a, a survival of the fittest in China. I think it has been. And you know, it's it's all they know, and you and I think people get too busy sort of focusing on, you know, the spitting in the streets or the lack of hygiene or whatever that might be. But then there's this amazing other side where, you know, they really I don't know any other country where they embrace you so wholeheartedly. You know, everybody was always so kind to us and so open, and you know, I always felt incredibly safe walking the streets even at night, even with Ava, uh, you know, once you realize 
while they're always staring at you, but it's not out of spite, you know, it's because they are interested in you and they care. If people want to purchase the book, where where can they find it? The best place at the moment is on my website, nicolewebonline.com. And I can even sign a special copy. <laughs> we we'll definitely so, link that up in the show notes as well. Yeah. I've got pre-order sales at the moment. So it's actually officially out into the world on the 1st of October and pre-order sales up at the moment. So yeah, it's exciting. It's just another... You know, I'm excited for people to read it and learn people that don't know about China. I'm excited to to see what they think and how, you know, hopefully um, change some points of view or just give people a new set of eyes into China. Awesome. So moving into some of the, the closing questions, what is one thing that you believe that when you describe to other people, people might think is ridiculous or crazy? About my job or about living overseas anything could be about life could be about your work just the belief that you have (laughs) that other people think is ridiculous or crazy well it's funny you should say that because i had someone say to me i've been working with uh, speaks head of the speakers institute here in australia getting a keynote talk together and i was talking her through how i have kind of always achieve what I set out to achieve and it has never been for me the direct path it's always been a squiggly line to get where I wanted to go it's not been easy and I've had to work hard but I think for me um, sheer persistence is what has always got me to where I'm going you know if I say I'm going to do something then I generally do it even if it takes me you know longer and that sort of happened with news reading and with writing the book as well and and going overseas and all of those things and I think I was telling her a story about when I wanted to become a journalist and I would I was in sales at the time and I would drive to the car park in my lunch hour with my list and my phone back then and I would ring all the news directors in the country and say have you got a job for me have you got a job and they would say no nothing nothing yet and then I would send my show reel around to all of the news stations in the country you know and then I'd go back to the car park a month later and ring them all again and I just kept doing that and doing that and eventually um, I realized that I had to get in my car and actually drive around the country and stop at all of these small tv stations <laughs> and actually meet with the news directors in person and I'm you know I'm 21 two, three at this time so off I went and um, stayed in a motel I drove from oh, Rockhampton in, in Australia's north to Melbourne which is about a 30-hour drive stopping overnight in you know all of these little country towns (laughs) by myself staying in a motel back then and then meeting the news directors so I she said to me you know this is not normal (laughs) and I say okay I kind of thought it was so maybe you know that's something that people might think is a bit crazy about me but that's kind of the way I've always done it is just persistence it pays off what is the smallest thing you've done that's brought you the largest results in your work? The smallest thing I've done. Wow. The smallest thing I think is just, I think you just chip away every day, even if it's something tiny, even if it's just reading an article about what you're doing and gaining more um, insight, even if it's just ticking off one thing on your list I don't know what the smallest thing I've ever done would be, but I think it's just every day if you do something towards your goal, 
you, you know, you bring it a little bit closer, no matter how small it is. I can't even think what a small thing would be. They're all small things and they lead to one big thing. (laughs) Three books, blogs or podcasts you'd recommend people check out if they were to understand you better. Understand me better. Wow. Okay. Gee, now you've put me on the spot. (laughs) Three books or blogs. Well, of course you've got to do my own my own blog and my own book first is probably how you're going to understand me the best. <laughs> um, oh gosh, podcast is so many great. Your podcast. <laughs> um, Thank you. There's a lot of great writing podcasts out there as well. You know, so you want to be a writer is a great Australian podcast. I'm not sure that helps you understand me, but it helps you understand the process of writing books. You know, I just read a great book, Untamed. And her name's just gone right out of my head, but she's very well known. Um, a yeah, we'll, we'll very find feminine, it up feminist in story, but a really great story um, for women and men out there, I guess, to understand more about the world, especially in today's climate. Uh, yeah, gosh, there's just so many. I should have thought about this before, shouldn't I? <laughs> no, that's, that's, I mean, that's enough. Yeah. Um, yeah. What is the best way for people to get in contact with you? Again, my website is nicolewebonline.com and you can find me pretty much on all the social medias from Instagram, uh, Nicole Webb Online, Facebook, Nicole Webb Online and Twitter, uh, Nicole D. Webb. So I'd love to connect with any of you. If anyone has any questions, yeah, or, or just wants to check out the blog or the book or say hi, definitely do that. Awesome, Nicole. It's been a long time coming, but I'm, I'm so happy that we were able to get on this interview. I hope you're doing well out there, considering the, the, the situation globally. Thanks, Rico. It's been a pleasure. I'm glad we finally got to do it. And um, I hope everyone else is doing well out there too in these, these tough times. Hey, what's up, guys? Thanks for listening to this episode of the Main Cheddar Podcast. If you want to reach out to us, that's podcast at sourcefinancial.com. If you want to check out the show notes from the episode that you just watched, that's sourcefinancial.com slash made in China. And be sure to also check out our YouTube channel, Source Financial. All one word. Cheers. Gotta learn when you get hurt, even if it's with you. He beat you and you went back. He's officially stupid. Oh, yeah. I understand that's your man. You had a plan. You've been together for some years. You sticking with him for the kids. So you overlook the tears. But we both know that's a bad look. It's 20 years from now. Your daughter probably get her ass whooped. Look, if this too deep for the intro, I'll find another use. But just in case it's perfect. Let me introduce Cole. Cole.